Hello ladies and gentlemen, welcome to The Greatest Game of the Blizzard. My name is Marcus Speller, with me is Jonathan Wilson, and with us today is Faye Carruthers, presenter and reporter for Sky Sports, TalkSport, IMG and many more. Faye, pleasure to have you on the pod. Thank you for having me. Well, ladies and gentlemen, we have a cup final for you today. More specifically, the 1988 League Cup final that finished Luton Town 3, Arsenal 2. Faye, why have you chosen this game? Oh, I don't know. Maybe because it's <laughs> the greatest moment in Luton's history. <laughs> yeah, I mean, it's pretty obvious that you're a Luton Town fan picking that game. <laughs> yeah, or, an An- I mean... or an Andy Dibble fan, perhaps. More on him later. <laughs> well, the final is regarded as one of the most exciting in the competition's history and Jonathan looking back on the highlights I mean we get into the game but it's it's a fair claim yes I mean I, I sort of yeah I watched it live and I'd have been what uh 11 at the time mm-hmm. and I think so the more I think about it, the more I think I was very fortunate to that my sort of footballing uh you know the first time I was really watching finals was that glorious period in the mid 80s when you had Coventry beating Tottenham 3-2 in the FA Cup final in 87 and you had Arsenal beating Liverpool in the League Cup final that year then this game and you had all these great finals of the, of the late late 80s but I have to say I'd, I hadn't watched it back since 88 and I'd, I'd sort of forgotten just how compressed all the action is everything is the last 20 minutes uh and, it, and it's it is one of the most remarkable sort of halves of a half of football you'll ever see Mm. And uh, Faye, obviously now Luton are not a top flight side They haven't been for, for many, many years And this this remains their, their only major silverware that they've ever won It was a very different... Are you not counting the Johnson's paint trophy? Uh, well, it's, I don't make the rules <laughs> I know what you mean <laughs> Marcus, uh, I mean, this will go out after we know the result But it may be that the Football League trophy becomes very, very important for Sunderland in, within... <laughs> <laughs> Within a, a few very short weeks. It may be. I agree with you and it's not relevant at all. We'll see. Yeah, I... <laughs> <laughs> yeah that's true. Very, very good to, to point that out. Uh, very very clever to point that out, Jonathan. Um, but yeah, I mean, this is, in the 80s, Luton Town are a very different sort of uh, entity, if you like, than, than what they are nowadays. Younger listeners will think, well, Luton Town winning a major trophy, you know, top flight side. But it was very different back in those days, Faye. And I'm sorry yeah. to, uh, <laughs> to, to, to... No, to no, no. It's, like, it's what makes my club my club, to be mm. honest. Uh, ev- everything that we went through. And I'll be completely honest. I was I was nine when this final was. I, I kind of don't care saying my age anymore, even though that <laughs> completely gives it away. But yeah, nine years old. And I wasn't really into football particularly. Um, my best friend at school, Gary, um, he was a mascot for Luton Town. Uh, my friend Lynn liked Luton and Arsenal, um, but it wasn't really a big thing because don't forget, you know, the, the early to mid 80s was was all hooliganism and what had happened in 85 at mm-hmm. Kenilworth Road with Millwall. Um, my dad very much was, you know, you don't go to Luton. Um, I'd been uh, or I went in the 90s and sang carols on the plastic pitch. But that was probably the first time I really had any kind of excitement about Luton in particular. So I don't really remember a lot Mm -hmm. about the buzz around this final. And I rang my uncle to have a chat with him. In fact, I rang my parents and they don't remember watching it, which is hilarious because they come to games with me now. And they used to go and sit in the old Oak Road end at at Luton in the 70s. Um, But my uncle remembers watching it at home in Luton and the buzz that was around it. And he talks about the roar when that winner from Brian Steen goes in. And uh, my aunt was in the garden. She wasn't interested in watching it. She kind of came in going, 
going, what's going on? What's happened? Because everybody around the in the road had just erupted um, when that goal went in in the 90th minute. So, you know, I'm really sad. As a massive Luton fan, I'm really sad that as a nine-year-old, I was not aware mm. of this amazing thing going on 30 miles away from where I lived. Yeah, at, at least you have a memory because some people, of course, some Luton Town fans, they, they won't have that. They're either too young or they've 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 come along a little bit later in the day so but I, I i take the point you say but it's interesting you say about the the violence uh, uh you talked about kenilworth road because they're they're and in an earlier round they beat coventry city 3-1 at a neutral venue uh, which was because luton banned away fans from their home due to that violence jonathan you know the 80s it was a very different footballing landscape yeah it was i mean 84-5 i guess was the real in terms of domestic violence in in english football was the real peak of it uh, and and I, yeah, so there was the the Luton Millwall game in eighty four five. There was also the two games in the League Cup semi between Chelsea and Sunderland. Uh, I remember the the first leg of that, which was at Sunderland, was the first time I'd really sort of seen the effects of hooliganism. Yeah, you know, sort of. I remember going to school the next day, and I went to school you know a mile from Rugger Park, and seeing all the broken glass and you know bloodstains on the ground, and kind of for an eight year old, that was pretty shocking. And then the away game was, was horrific. I mean, Sunderland won it 3-2. And if you look at the footage, I think it's the second goal that Sunderland scored. There's a, there's a police horse in the box while the goal is scored, which arguably the goal shouldn't have stood. But I think by then it was just get the thing over with. And yeah, there's, there was horses charging fans and fan, you know, um, awful stories about Sunderland fans leaving the ground and, and sort of streets being blocked. And and sort of the the, the buses that some of the fans were on the the emergency doors being wrenched open and people being dragged off and and beaten up and and having their faces slit. It was, I mean, it seems incredible now that football was still a thing I went to, but my parents weren't sort of saying no. But uh, but I mean, Luton um, took stronger action against that than the majority of clubs that they banned away fans. It, uh, was it David Evans, the, the David chairman? Evans, the chairman? Yeah, uh, he was, who was he a Conservative MP? Was that, he, was, was he was, yeah, for Welling Garden City and Hatfield, I think it was. Yeah, and I mean, I remember much. I say much later. I mean, maybe only three or four years later. But when you're that age, it feels like a lot later. That you know, as a Sunderland fan who went to away games, getting into Luton was kind of. Yeah, that that was one of the great. Yeah, if you can manage that. Um, I I never did it till it was legal, just to be clear. But uh, (laughs) I know a lot of people who did. Um, So yeah, and and, yeah, so there was that game. The yeah, the second round game against Coventry was was played on neutral ground for for that reason. Yeah, yeah. I I mean, it's incredible when you sort of paint that picture. As I say, that how how different it was. Um, Faith, what do you remember about this? you know, Luton, their, their run to the final, you know, they beat Wigan, Coventry, Ipswich, Bradford and, and Oxford in the semi-finals. Even, even though you were, were nine years old, do you do you remember the excitement building uh, around the campaign? Gen- genuinely not. No, not <laughs> at all. But, yeah. Because again, you know, for, for all those reasons I've said, it just wasn't, you know, football wasn't on my radar then at, at that age. We played in the back garden. Um, you know, by the time I was probably... 11. I mean, I, I did play. I played with the boys. Um, Gary, my friend who I mentioned, had a football party. And I remember playing, uh, being the only girl playing there at Lee Manor Recreation Ground. I've told this story before. His mum, who sadly passed away last year, um, still had a video, apparently. We, we, we don't have no idea where it is of me hacking all the boys to bits <laughs> in this five-a-side 
football party that you used to have back in the back in the 80s um but no it just wasn't on my radar as, as I say I literally I remember afterwards um I remember in Match Magazine there was a you know a trophy celebration photograph um and, and I remember that very much but um yeah not nothing else at all and, and actually while I was watching the football back um the, the footage back Seeing Kingsley Black, who, you know, I, I now class as, as someone I know, you know, if, if you say, I wouldn't go as far as to say he's my friend, but he's someone that I, that I chat to you. Yeah, an acquaintance, <laughs> which is crazy. He's like 19 years old, giving his um, pre-match interview to Jim Rosenthal, who I also now work with. It's like so <laughs> surreal that I was nine years old and that was happening. And these are two people that I now know. It's really, really bizarre. I mean, David, David Pleat talks in the commentary about how uh, Kingsley Black seems to be sort of coping with the pressure of the occasion very well. But Pleat had obviously known him. Did Pleat even give him his debut, maybe? But Pleat yeah. obviously knew him from as a, as a youth coming through at Luton. Yeah, but he'd said he didn't think that he had it. He said he, he thought he was too shy and didn't have enough about him um, to, to make it. But I think Pleat might have brought him on, but John Moore gave him his chance when, when Pleat had left. So... Yeah, and, and then look what a player he turned out to be and then went to Forest and had a great career. Well, it's actually, I mean, it's a, if you look at the, the team, it's actually a remarkably good team that you've got you know, Mel Donaghy, who played at the 82 World Cup and went on to, to play for Manchester United. Tim Breaker, who uh, played for, for West Ham a lot as well. He's sort of one of those classic sort of old school right backs. Uh, Ricky Hill, who won what, three caps, I think, for England. He's a very tidy centre midfielder. Uh, David Priest, who was one of those players, I mean, he's quite quite. Odd. I was sort of surprised to see him with hair. So my memory of him <laughs> yeah. was this kind of this this balding player who always played well against Sunderland. You also, I wonder why we can't. Are we sure we could get him by two hundred We should get him. <laughs> <laughs> and he probably wasn't actually any good against anybody other than Sunderland. But he always seemed to play well against. No, us. he was. Believe me, he was very good. He was right. Very okay. Good. <laughs> uh, Danny Wilson, who again yeah. just looks so young in this kind of because I guess we know him as a manager now and all the stresses that's kind of. Uh, and it is 30-odd years ago, so... Yeah. And uh, Ray Harford, the manager, uh, Faye, a, a Luton legend, it's fair to say, of course, sadly died, you know, the turn of the century. What, what does he mean to the, to the Luton Town fans? Well, everything. A, a mm. manager that brings silverware to, to a club is, is revered. Mm-hmm. Um, and, you know, he hadn't been... I think he'd been at Fulham before he was he was with us, and then he'd been... Um, assistant and then when John Moore left uh, took over and you know that was his first Wembley final Um, no I lie it wasn't his first Wembley final it was his first major final because we'd actually made it to Wembley four times (laughs) that season which was crazy Um, just feels surreal I didn't even know what the Synod Cup was I'd never heard of that (laughs) when they were taught I was like what's that um, random one but yeah and obviously we'd, we'd got to the semi-finals of the FA Cup and, and lost to, to Wimbledon so he'd had an amazing amazing mm-hmm. season um, so yeah he's 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 definitely I, I'm unfortunately sad to say I never got to meet him um, mm. but you know goes down in, in Luton Town history yeah I, I'm sure with with a club you know, Luton is it's not a city, hence the you know, town on the end of We've the We've tried. <laughs> yeah, yeah, I'm sure. Uh, <laughs> but um you know, for for a club that size and, and for the town and all, it must have been so exciting for, for so many of those fans getting, you know, to to finals or, or, or latter stages of tournaments and, and someone like Ray Harford seemed to me 
I'm trying to think of an equivalent. Um, you suppose Jurgen Klopp at Liverpool, or, so, or somebody who's kind of he's captured the imagination of the town, and everyone's mm. like really for him and backs him. And I, and I, that's my sort of when I think of Ray Harford, I think that's the kind of uh, dynamic, I suppose, or the um, or the for want of a better word, the vibe that he created there. Yeah, yeah, I know, I know exactly what you mean. And actually, the person that then took that mantle on is Mick Harford, um, mm. unrelated, but you know, just you know, played played in this game that. You could argue our game turned when when Mick Harford had to come off um, injured, which is very rare to see Mick Harford injured. Um, and then what he's gone on and done with Luton over the years, it's incredible. And the fact that there were 95,000 people inside Wembley, like, I mean, that's just insane. I, I don't want to bring up the Johnson's Paint Trophy again, but I was no, there for do. that. Please do. Please do. And that was just, that, that, was in, that was incredible. Um you know, knowing, well, I mean, that was incredible for many reasons. And actually, I probably could have selected that game because I took my whole family to that game and it was it was amazing. And it was when we were just about to go out of the Football League. It was so poignant for so many reasons. But just to be inside Wembley as a fan of your club representing, it, it's there's nothing better than that. Absolutely. Well... Let's have a quick break and then we'll talk about the match itself. See you in a moment, everybody. Welcome back to the greatest games on the blizzard. Right then, so we've, we've set the scene already. Wembley, it was a beautiful sunny day as well, Jonathan, which is what we want. Every cup final should be, which should be a sunny day. Uh, and we haven't really mentioned them, but they were playing Arsenal, um, who were the holders of the League Cup. And of course, the next season, Arsenal would go on to win the league and... You've mentioned Luton Town had had a few good players, but Arsenal had some decent ones as well. Yeah, I mean, this is very much Arsenal on the rise under George Graham. I mean, the previous season, Arsenal had finished fourth and Luton had been seventh. This season, they ended up sixth and ninth, respectively. So I, I, was, I was struck in the commentary, actually, by how they kept going on about what a major shock it was. And I guess it is because of the stature of the clubs. And certainly from a perspective now, it looks like an enormous shock. But actually, it was ninth beat sixth. It's... I, I, I think the shock element came from the fact that Luton were absolutely decimated by injuries and we'd had a real blip in the season. We'd been doing mm-hmm. really well. And then we'd, you know, we, we had uh, David Priest had barely played. Ricky Hill had just come back from a, a broken leg um, like four or five months earlier. Um, Les Seeley, of course, deemed literally the day before um, that he couldn't play. Andy Dibble had, you know, played in that semi final defeat to. To, to Wimbledon and so we weren't at full strength um Mark Steen had then had a strop because he wasn't on the starting <laughs> starting sheet we had all this drama going a- around beforehand and actually if you listen to the narrative of that ITV coverage it's very much we're the underdogs and I think that's where it comes you know little plucky loot and all those kind of yeah, adjectives yeah, yeah. that make my make me bristle <laughs> um you know there's no disrespect to Brian Moore by the way who is a superb commentator but at the same time it's like I I, I don't like that I, I it's we we were we were a big team in our own right in in, in the 80s and yeah I mean um, you've been for people who don't know you've been promoted in 83 and you've been sort of regularly 
mid table and above really since then. Mm-hmm. Yeah, partly partly because of the plastic pitch, maybe. But <laughs> <laughs> yeah, well, not, that, that's what others would say. I wouldn't. I personally wouldn't say that. <laughs> but you won this it one on grass. So well strengths. done. Exactly. Yeah, yeah, it played to it played to our strengths, and thank God we did win a game mm. on grass so we could turn. And actually, if you look at the results that season, because I know Kenny Dalglish in particular was quite critical of the of the plastic pitch but actually we went and got a draw up at Anfield against them so you know I think mm. we'd um we'd, we'd pretty much shown that we could play elsewhere but yeah people didn't like mm. playing on that pitch so in the time the th- thing I was going to say about this you know this being sort of portrayed as a major shock is you see exactly the same thing with Wimbledon in in the FA Cup final 88 they've been in seventh that season yeah. and so I mean I, I remember my dad kind of going on a massive rant about when Wimbledon won the FA Cup and is this the greatest shock ever? And my dad was going, Sunderland was sixth bottom of the second division. So five months before they won the FA Cup in 73. This is a team that's finished seventh in the, in the top flight. And and again, when I sort of you know, look back at that sort of very formative period of, of for me of watching football, and you had Norwich in 85 won the League Cup. You had Oxford in 86. You had 87, you know, Arsenal shocking Liverpool. And the League Cup finals around that time did seem to produce these. Um, it, it was an opportunity for the non-giants to to to, to have their success. And what, you, what you would be determined to, as the as the as the big six nowadays? That yeah, I mean, in those days, it, those kind of in those things. days we sort of recognised the big five, didn't we? Which would mm. be Everton, Liverpool, uh, Manchester United, Arsenal, Tottenham mm. would we'll be seen as the big five, uh, just in terms of that's six. Sorry, I think that's six. Uh, Arsenal, Tottenham, Liverpool, Everton. Everton, Manchester United. That's five. Oh, oh, I can't, I, I can't count. <laughs> you assumed Manchester City were in there, but it was before their <laughs> maybe time. Maybe I did. Maybe, maybe I heard thought, Manchester and automatically thought City. League Cup success, and you thought Manchester City have got to be mentioned. Really. But <laughs> <laughs> and then obviously that becomes hugely important when it comes to negotiating the breakaway in the Premier League and everything. But yeah, this period of late 80s, it was a time when other clubs mm-hmm. could could compete, and that was one it's, of the joys of it. It's interesting you say that about the breakaway league because David Evans was quite um, uh, outspoken, as he tended to be, um, about that because there was talk of a breakaway league in the early 80s anyway, this kind of super league, if you like. And and Luton were not in that conversation and he was quite angry about that. And and as it is, we ended up being relegated the season before it became the Premier League. Um, but, you know, perhaps we would be talked about in different terms um, had we been in the first year of of what is now the Premier League, um, because people tend to forget about football pre nineteen ninety two, which again is something that infuriates the hell out of me. Uh, interesting, you mentioned the, uh, the 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 plastic pitch that that uh, Luton had uh, earlier. Uh, Ray Harford apparently he's he, he found his team selection very very difficult um, ahead of the final, and I'm sure a lot of managers, even Alex Ferguson, you know, would, would often talk about that. Um, and he chose his team with their away form in mind because the players were playing on grass, which is a very rare uh, consideration, of course, Faye, but it, but it was a fair consideration considering they were playing their home games on, on fake grass. I didn't know that. That's new information to me. I right. love that. Makes sense. Yeah. Makes total well, sense. Well, it does, Jonathan, because it is... As, as we said earlier, you know, people were kind of getting a bit annoyed about playing on... Well, it's also... It's, yeah, it's, it's not like... Fake pitches now, which are sure, yeah, not far removed from grass. Yeah, they, they, you know, it was just like you know, a sheet of plastic. It was, yeah, I was, I, I was generous saying it was fake grass. Yeah, it was very much a plastic. Uh, yeah, there they was were no being sort of... innovative. 
Yeah, I mean, in, in some senses, it makes sense because it's you know, we, we, which is which is going to produce a better football: a sheet of plastic or thick mud? Uh, <laughs> ideally, you want somewhere in between. But you know, we all, we've all seen pictures from the eighties what they were like. Mm-hmm. So, in terms of reducing cost, creating a sort of regular playing surface, it does make some kind of sense. But then you look at some of those games, and I think Oldham seemed to have a particularly bad one. But the huge bounces you got, yeah, you know, yeah. it was a. And even the way you, had, you were able to tackle and things was so different on grass to plastic that mm-hmm. everything was was different. Yeah. So we get to the final and the match itself, and the, the the crucial injury in terms of how the game would pan out was Les Seeley not being fit. You mentioned this. Andy Dibble got the call. I think it was only his sixth appearance of, of the season, something mm. like that. It was. And, and no one could have predicted the game. I mean, I, I to, to, to submit, I, I was only. Um, coming up six years old uh, for this game and I actually don't remember this it was sort of Italian 90 was really when I came in for football and I'd known Andy Dibble a uh, bit of a journeyman played here there and everywhere but I mean I had no idea that that he had this particular afternoon at Wembley we'll, we, I, I, we'll, we'll get on to him in a minute but um, early on in the game um, Thomas uh, for, for Arsenal sort of runs through and Dibble comes herring out and nearly fouls him and I mean, nowadays, I think Thomas would have found a way to get contact and would have gone down. And Dibble could have been off the pitch. It could have been a very, very different game, uh, of of course. But you know, Jonathan, again, going look at looking at Arsenal with with their side. I mean, in the midfield, Rowcastle, Thomas, Davis, Richardson up front, Smith and Groves. You know, you would expect them to be on the front foot in a cup final. Yeah, I mean, the two players who stand out in that team for for not quite fitting are. Uh, well, first of all, Nigel Winterburn, because he's playing on the wrong side. He's playing at right back, mm-hmm. which uh, I have to say, I hadn't really sort of remembered that he did that because Kenny Sanson was at left back and he played right back and actually ends up taking his penalty right footed, which surprised me. I don't know if he actually was right footed now. Um, but anyway, he, he's sort of playing on the wrong side. And then Gus Caesar, who, of course, mm-hmm. um, becomes this... Was awful. Uh, well, <laughs> Sorry. I was, I was trying to trying to be kind because he you know, he becomes this sort of joke figure for Arsenal fans. You know, there's that great bit in, in Fever Pitch when, when Nick Hornby says, you know, Gus Caesar, when he was at primary school, he must have been the best player in the school. When he was at senior school, he must have been the best player in the school. When he went to you know his first under-14s, under-15s, under-16s game, he must always have been the best player in the team. He makes it as a professional and yet he's clearly nowhere near as good as anybody else in that pitch. And you mm. sort of think... What a weird place that must be for him, you know, to to sort of to to sort of be so much to to you know, through his youth career to have kind of been and it's obviously is true of lots and lots of players to have been way better than anybody else they knew, and then suddenly to kind of find themselves you know adrift. You're clearly nowhere near as good as 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 anybody else they're playing with, and of course you know he doesn't last very long, and and um, Steve Bowl comes in and replaces him. But, but he yeah, was he, he was only playing because David O'Leary was injured, and David yeah. O'Leary was kind of at the end of his Arsenal career anyway. But you know, to to then have to go on and, and replace a player like David O'Leary in a in a final, and you have that kind of shocker, you know, no wonder his career. I think he ended his career in Hong Kong. I was reading. I did, I love doing a little Google. Where are they now? Ended mm-hmm. it in Hong Kong. It's, it's mm-hmm. quite sad, really. Yeah. yeah. No, he's one of those players I kind of always feel slightly guilty about criticising because I know how badly it went for him. But but he has a terrible game. There's no no two ways about it. 
I'm I'm quite happy he did, so it's fine. (laughs) Well, I mean, as we'll go on and talk about it, I mean, his his teammates uh, should have seen off the final for him, so you you wouldn't have to talk about him. But the first goal comes after 13 minutes, and it it put Luton Town one up, and it was it was a goal from Brian Steen, and uh, and what a start for Luton Fay it was. Oh, it was a cracking start, and actually we played. We'd played the better football in the opening stages anyway. Um, and it had kind of come from, like, if you if you think of the passage of play, Mick Harford had had a header uh, from a free kick that had beaten John Lukic, but it just went over and it just gave them a little bit of a, a boost. And then uh, the, the, the Arsenal defence were then like, right, we need to keep an eye on, on Harford. So they actually man-marked him, three of them. Yeah. Um, which was how Luton's goal came about because they'd, they'd broken earlier on four on three. Arsenal had defended that well, but then the free kick came from the left-hand side. Ball comes in, three players surrounding Mick Harford prevent him, fine. But Steve Foster, this is what my uncle always remembers. He's like, that Steve Foster touch. Like, yeah. he does not make deft touches like that. He's not renowned <laughs> for that. And I'm like, no, of course he's not. And that touch is just beautiful. And again, Gus Caesar just does not see Brian Steen coming in behind him completely undetected. And then that finish into the back of the net was just beautiful. And we're ahead. Yeah. And great for I... Steve Foster as well, because obviously when he'd been at Brighton, had missed the 83 Cup final through suspension, and now he returned for the replay, you know, Brighton's chances in that first game. Uh, and so for him to not just be involved, but to play such a sort of key role in the opening goal, to, to sort of, because he, he, he ends up with his, he's sort of on the edge of the box with his back to goal, and someone mm. just sort of flicks it with the outside mm. of his right foot into the path of Steen. So it's a, it's a remarkable touch. And yeah. I, when I, I was sort of watching thing, has he does he know where Steen is? Or is he just, That's just what putting I thought. In, in the yeah. But I can't work out why he would play it with the outside of his right foot unless he was aiming it there because a the natural thing to do would be to turn it with his left foot. If he's yeah. just hooking it back in the danger area, you, he, you know, because he, he has time because he's, as you say, the three players have gone for the ball so they're all sort of recovering. He does have time but he, he flicks it with the outside of his right foot straight away and then Steen with a very... Very calm, angled side foot finish. Yeah, mm. lovely. Yeah, it's, it, it's a, it is a lovely. Goal. I'm glad you said that about um, Foster because I was thinking that because I thought that must have been one of the midfield players. And then you look and go, no, that is an English centre half from the 80s doing like that. <laughs> a proper That's hard it. one as well. Uh, yeah, 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 absolutely. Well, and Mick Arford was hard as well. I mean, it's oh, a, a yeah. few hard players in that team. Still but, is. <laughs> yeah. Um, I mean, I, I'm sort of obviously there were there was a whole first half to play. I'm sort of sort of desperate to sort of get on to that second half but um, unless I'm missing anything Jonathan there, there wasn't too many sort of big moments from that first half really No I mean ev- everything is Constantine in, in the final 20 minutes after that first goal I mean I, I think it was still a perfectly kind of you know, decent game there's still you know, opportunities and I think Arsenal as would happen when they've gone behind they, they slowly start to assert themselves mm-hmm. and I think particularly after half time that, that, that becomes true and it becomes much more about Arsenal attacking and, and, and uh, Luton, Luton resisting yeah. Luton were definitely definitely in control of the first half for sure and Andy Dibble had made a couple of decent saves mm-hmm. as well. Foster, had, after that moment of brilliance, actually towards the end of the first half had almost uh, put Andy Dibble in, in real trouble because Alan Smith was lurking and he gave a bit of a hospital back pass at one point and had Alan Smith been a tiny bit further up the pitch then that could have uh, could have spelled mm-hmm. trouble but we got away, got, got away with it. Yeah, into the second half... Um, 
it, it could have been 2 0 Luton. Um, Steen has a great header, uh, or a header rather, and John Lukic makes an unbelievable save, Jonathan. Remember, he was a good goalkeeper, but it's a superb save, and it shows you again the back and forth nature. One can sort of think this was a smash and grab job from Luton, which, again, if you sort of just look at the, the scores, or whatever, you might be tempted to think that, but Luton had their, their efforts. Oh, absolutely, yeah, yeah. I mean, it's a Smash and grab in the sense of the last twenty minutes are a yeah. bit of a smash and grab. But anyone was going to smash and grab it, I suppose you could sort of. But 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 no, I mean yeah, absolutely. Luton had their chance, and that, as you say, is a it's a remarkable save. It's a it's a save that deserves to be remembered, and it's sort of forgotten because of what what follows. Yeah, and and then sort of what follows is is you know Andy Dibble really coming to his own. We see this with an Alan Smith header, which Dibble saves very well. It just it seems like, in particular, with headers. Andy Dibble's just not going to get beaten by a head of it on that day, Faye. It was just it was ridiculous. Yeah, he was offside in the end, Alan Smith, and I think he was probably a little bit relieved with that because he should have scored it. Um, <laughs> yeah, he should have done, yeah. Uh, yeah, it's um, it, they were getting a bit of confidence once once Martin Hayes came on for Perry Groves, and mm. Perry speaks about this quite openly. He always laughs with me about uh, <laughs> about his performance in that final. He knows he, he didn't he didn't really show up, um, and Martin Hayes came on with about half an hour left to play and just made it 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 shifted Rowcastle further to the right and gave Arsenal a bit of width again and and they started causing Luton loads of problems getting a bit of confidence as well and then Mick Harford got injured and that was just brutal for Luton Mm. because obviously his height his presence everything he's able to, to to frighten the Arsenal defence a little bit and be everywhere and be a real pest. And him coming off um, was was really tough. Mark Steen, though, made like an instant Mm -hmm. impact. um, But you you felt as if the Arsenal goal was imminent, which it was. Yeah. And on 71 minutes, the goal did come from the sub Martin Hayes, uh, Jonathan. And a scrappy goal, it's fair to say. Yeah. So it's a free kick sort of right in the middle of the half. And I can't work out for the life of me why they take it short. I don't know what they gained by doing that, but they take it short. Paul Davis just sort of chips it into the box. It bobbles about. Alan Smith has a shot which is blocked. And then it comes to Martin Hayes. He forces it over line. Um, so I, I don't know why they did that, but it, it worked. And yeah, it's, I, I, it would be a horrible goal to concede. Because Arsenal haven't done anything special there. They've put the ball in the box and they've got the bounce. And just went under a load of bodies, didn't it? Yeah. yeah. But you could see the relief with the with the Arsenal players when that goal goes in. Because they're thinking, finally, we you know we're we're back in this game. And it must be such a crushing blow for for Luton Town fans. You think, ah, there was that. There was signs that you maybe. I mean, I suppose the idea of holding out with still twenty minutes to go might be a, a little bit. Uh, uh, you're falling into that underdog, uh, plucky little well, no, Luton it, narrative. I, 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 forgive me, forgive me. But I, <laughs> I, what I mean is, in the spirit of being one nil up and, yeah. and, the, and the opposition coming for you, yeah. So I don't. Want I know to, what I don't you mean. To... <laughs> I know what you mean. <laughs> but yeah, I, I think it's. Um... <sighs> we were the masters of our own downfall with that second goal, though, because they had mm. a load of confidence, and actually, Mal Donaghy comes out to take the ball off David Rowcastle. Steve Foster had already come out and was on the floor and basically Michael Thomas pinched the ball. Both centre-backs nowhere near the box. Smith went wide and then finished on the on, on the stretch and, you know, that that's that's 2-1 and we've got a mountain to climb. 
Yeah, I mean, what I would I would stress obviously that it was very much a, a bit of a ding dong between these two sides, but. To stick my neck out, it's fair to say in that kind of 10, 11 minute period from the or from the 70th minute to about the 81st minute or whatever it was, Arsenal really did dominate the game and they get two goals. And both managers said afterwards, Jonathan, they thought, well, they thought that was it. Yeah. The, the way Arsenal were playing. Well, I mean, uh, any final, if you score yeah. in the 71st and 74th minutes mm-hmm. to go 2-1 up. It's very obvious the momentum shifted your way. But then the thing is, they don't sit back. They don't sort of defend no. it, as you might think a George Graham side would. <laughs> they keep going. And Dibble makes three really good saves oh, yeah. in the five minutes after that. Mm-hmm. And then they get the penalty. Well, I mean, they should score. I mean, those chances, for, you know, you have... Oh, the Martin um, the Martin Hayes close range. Yeah. Oh, my life. That was... He'll be kicking... Well, I mean, I'd, I'd love to chat to him and see whether he still has nightmares about that because Alan Smith had, had actually beat Donaghy to the ball again and Dibble had given a one-handed save onto the crossbar oh, and then come save. back out to Martin Hayes at the far post. He's a yard out. The goal's gaping, and he just hits the post. <laughs> You're like, yeah. what are you doing? <laughs> um, again, grateful, but <laughs> awful um, miss. You would think that would settle it if it was if it was three one. So they have these chances. Dibble is playing like a man possessed, and then Arsenal get a penalty. Jonathan Rocastle is fouled. And is he? Well, yeah, thank okay, you, Jonathan. <laughs> yeah, okay, okay. Rocastle, uh, according to the referee, is fouled. And Winterburn steps. He actually does take it with his left. Uh, does he? Sort of, have, yeah, he does take it with his left. Having having watched it back. Okay. And, but do you know the uh, weirdness about this? Sorry to mm. interrupt you, Marcus. No, please. So uh, Brian Moore mentions it in commentary. He says it was a very curious decision that <laughs> Nigel Winterburn takes this penalty because he'd only scored one goal for Arsenal before. Michael Thomas was their regular penalty taker, and Martin Hayes, who was already on the score sheet was their top scorer of the season before, I think with like 24 goals or something like that. And 12 of them had come from the penalty spot. It's like, well, how have you come to this conclusion that Nigel Winterburn is taking yeah. this penalty? I don't understand. Well, man, Again, that, that, grateful. <laughs> yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah. Uh, he's extremely odd when you put it like that. I mean, he, he, he strikes it sort of fairly well and Dibble makes an unbelievable save. But that is so weird. He had time though. Andy Dibble had time. He guessed the right. He guessed the right way, mm. and he actually had time to get there because yeah. there wasn't enough pace on it. So okay. So I I think it's in. I'm, I'm, this is this is my excuse here coming up, but I think it's interesting. I thought he'd taken it right footed because it has the power of a sort of open side foot shot to the keeper's left. But he, if he's hitting that with the inside of his left foot, he hasn't hit yeah. that hard at all. Nope. Yeah. Nope. And and, and if you watch Dibble, it, he's he's you know he's not on the stretch or anything. He's there. He's got it covered. Yeah, it's a good um, sort of four four or five feet inside the post. I mean, yeah. he does does well to get down to it. And obviously, has you know, he's able to push it. Oh yeah, he's got the work around to do, the post. He, and he had to work out which way he was going to go. But you know, at the same time, you know, he wasn't, you know. Um, he 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 wasn't he didn't have to be lightning quick is what I'm trying to say. Yeah, I mean, it almost what makes it a, a difficult save is it's one of those that can easily sort of go sort of under the keeper's armpit, but it's mm. it's not right in the corner. He's not a full stretch. He's got to sort of you know withdraw the arm slightly. So it's not a full stretch to to push it away. Mm. Yeah, I mean, just so many chances Arsenal have created in that in that little period. They even get a penalty. They miss that. And so, I mean, so Faye Luton must be thinking, well, we're still in this, lads. This is, 
unbelievable and 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 they get a second win because of that yeah um i mean i I don't think they ever felt they were out of it i don't think that's the Mm -hmm. type of side that they were in in the slightest um but they were certainly you know up against the ropes for a good 10 12 minutes um in in that second half but literally the momentum that that penalty save gave them Mm. like two minutes later um Gus Caesar again, sorry, I'm so sorry, Gus, but he, he kind of tripped himself up in the box under yeah. pressure from Mark Steen. That allowed Kingsley Black to rob the ball off him on the left-hand side, fed in Brian Steen. One shot saved by Lukic, which was good smother. And then a second one turned in with a kind of stooping header by Danny Wilson at close range. And all of a sudden, game on. Which side would you would you back? Mm. You know, to to win it, and you'd back Luton, but again, the narrative was this game's going to extra time. <laughs> yeah, yeah, exactly. Yeah, as you say, it sort of swings because we just there's a side of Mr. Penalty, da da da, and then Luton get the goal, and then it wouldn't be long after that that uh, that they get the winner, of course, in in the ninetieth minute. Yeah, which is uh, it's Mark Steen, isn't it? He's fouled by Tony Adams. Uh, Daniel takes a free kick, is headed out, and it comes to Ashley Grimes, who's come off the bench. So, and he takes it down the right, uh, hooks the cross across. And then it's a great finish from Brian mm, Steen, going across the near post, sort of volleying it back across goal. Um, and it, it's, yeah, it's, it's, it's one of those finishes where he... There's, a, a, what's the word I'm looking for? There's sufficient lack of power on the shot mm-hmm. that you think there's a chance that Lukic can get there. And then it's always just going away from him and goes in. And... Yeah. Uh, yeah, it's, I mean, it's a great cross from Ashley Grimes and a great finish. Well, um, at, at, when I spoke to my uncle, it's funny. There were two things that he mentioned about the game. It was the roar when that third goal went in. It was the touch from Steve Foster for the first goal. And it was the touch from Ashley Grimes for the third. Now, I didn't really remember when, I, when I'd watched this on, on VHS uh, many years ago. I've, got, um, I've still got it. It's actually my friend Gary's. I stole it from him about 20 years ago when we were at university and have never returned it. I don't think either of us have got a VHS player anymore anyway. Um, <laughs> but I didn't actually... I didn't actually analyse that goal in the same way when I when I first watched that game. Um, but the technique from Ashley Grimes is incredible because he's coming in from the right and he hits it with the outside of his left boot. It's, it's yeah. Yeah. just absolutely incredible. And then you add into that that he managed to pick out Brian Steen running in on goal. Brilliant. With Grimes' touch, I mean, again, you don't expect that from. It was the Irish, was he? You know, a centre half applying his trade in 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 England uh, during the eighties. You know, another uh, a great uh, assist, of course. And when that goal goes in, that's the game up, really. You know, you see Halford raise his hands in the air, and you think, surely, that this amazing final has reached its climax there. And uh, you know, scenes of absolute uh, jubilation uh, and, and 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 huge celebrations. That got a little bit too rowdy. If we uh, remember that the the state of the trophy fay uh, later, on, uh, <laughs> a couple of days later, I wouldn't know anything um, but, about that. <laughs> but it, no, was, it, it was, where's Mark on the club? Sort of have you, have you seen the club statements? It's very sheepish. And sort of yeah, we we'll repair it. Yeah, they, they completely kind of accept responsibility and get it sorted out. There's no yeah, sort of attempt to disguise what had happened. Well, this was this was the, so that you have the great celebrations at Wembley. They go on presumably for another couple of days, and then at a civic civic ceremony two days after the final, 
people are thinking, hang on, that, that trophy looks a little bit battered and bruised. And I'm so surprised was... they don't just give replicas. Do they? Because when you think Aubameyang mm. dropped the FA Cup, didn't he, last yeah. year as well? But the thing is like... that the, the, there isn't just one, certainly the FA Cup, there isn't just one of them. No, there's not. So presumably that's why. I, I yeah. don't know. And, you know, I, I, again, I don't know if they still do this, but certainly in the good old days, um, when there was a chance, you know, when two teams had a chance of winning the league on the final yeah, of the season, yeah, yeah. they'd take a replica to one ground, the real one to the other, but they wouldn't say which one was which. Yes. Yeah. So you, you had like the fake league I think league they trophy. still do that. Do they? Excellent. Yeah. Um, but I, I, it, it, I remind me, is it, the, is it the proper league cup or is it the, did they have a different trophy for this being, was it the Worthington's Cup by this stage? No, it's the Littlewoods Cup. This Littlewoods Cup. Yeah. Was it, yeah, is, yeah. Is it the th- was it the three handled one? I I, I, can't I don't know. God, you know what? I, I've no idea. You know, you know see, my attention so, to detail isn't isn't as good as yours, Jonathan. <laughs> well, the in '85, the Milk Cup definitely they had a different. You know, Milk, the Milk Marketing Board had, yeah. had produced a, a new trophy rather than the classic three handled League Cup. Mm-hmm. So wasn't the Worthington I I, Cup like in ninety ninety two something like that? Wasn't that a bit later? Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. yeah I, but. Yeah, so some of the sponsors produce their own trophy. Some of them suffer oh, right. the old league. Oh, I, never I, knew that. I, 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 I don't. I don't know which one they were using for for this. Me neither. But, well, the, the, yeah. the, maybe when we returned it, they didn't want to use it again. Yeah. <laughs> well, I think it might have started out as a three-handed trophy, <laughs> and it ended up as a two-handed one. <laughs> <laughs> but it was Luton's trophy at the end of the day. Faye, they won it uh, the first silverware, and and also to. To add to the the fact that they were a good side in those days, they reached the final again the following year. They were beaten by uh, Nottingham, Nottingham Forest. Forest. Yeah, yeah. Uh, yeah. But, it, but it shows you. Yeah, but it shows you though. You know, Hartford. It, it was a wonderful time, I'm sure, being a Luton Town fan. Yeah, and, I, and I'm gutted I missed it live. <laughs> yeah. just, just like you, Marcus, I got into football after the 1990 Italia 90. I yeah, collected yeah, all yeah. the coins. I had my Panini mm-hmm. sticker album. Yep. Um, and yeah, it was um, it, it, it was a different time. And I kind of, I'd love to just go back that two years earlier and have convinced mm-hmm. my parents for some reason that it was a great <laughs> idea to take a nine-year-old to a... Uh, <laughs> to a football ground in the eighties. <laughs> Unfortunately, you, I don't think you that would have worked. But yeah, I, I sort of think you know, if I'd been born ten years earlier, so I'd have been you know six in seventy three, or even you know fifteen years earlier, so I'd have been eleven. It would have ruined football because nothing would ever have been that good. Yeah. Uh, you know, mm. I'm glad that you know that it's still ahead of me. I hope. Uh, or maybe by the time you hear it it's behind me who knows <laughs> <laughs> it's always next year Jonathan always next year <laughs> yeah well well, Faye, I'm, I'm sorry you didn't uh, you didn't see the final you know in the flesh or anything I hope this podcast has somewhat made up for that oh it's um, been, do you know what it's been so lovely like just sitting uh, sitting and watching that game again has, has been a real delight as I say it's been a good 15 20 years i reckon since mm-hmm. i last last watched it so yeah, yeah. Th- thank you for giving me that opportunity Not and it, it, it was a much much better game i mean i remember yes. it as being a good game but i hadn't quite realized how good so i'm, I'm very glad that it sort of you know refreshed my mind of how good that was well it, yeah. it's really Pro- proper made cup me, final well it yeah. made me appreciate what, what an amazing performance andy dibble put in as well because i was unaware of that i knew the score i knew obviously luton's uh uh, first piece of silverware. And, and, uh, Andy Dibble sort of you know, is he's sort of doomed to be remembered for Gary Crosby heading the ball off his hand. For that was him, wasn't it, in the Forest Manchester City game? 
I see. I only remember him having a handful of of, of performances for Rangers up in Scotland, where he was. was well, he around. played twelve games on loan at Sunderland as well. So there we are. Uh, from from, from I mean, Luton, I, I, he was on loan from Luton. Right. Yeah, because yeah, it was when Chris Turner fractured his skull. I, I think was when he came in. Um, but which he, would I, have I think been he spent the majority five six. Yeah, I think he spent the the majority of his career at, at Man City. Yeah, yeah. Well, I'm sure it's him who you know, you know the instant I mean when Gary Crosby sort of comes from he's sort of holding the ball in his hand, ready to kick it clear, oh, and Gary Crosby right. sort of runs around and nods off his hand and puts it in. I could have been Dibble. I'm, well, I think I think it is ruin, Dibble. Don't ruin Dibble's moment. <laughs> but anyway, that. <laughs> great he deserves is, to be remembered for this final. Great is 90 final. minutes in his career, and you bring that up. <laughs> uh, but he messed up though, didn't he? That's what we remember him for. <laughs> no, we remember him for what we're now dubbing the Andy Dibble final. Uh, the well, he, and he was the man of the match. He was the man of the match. Deservedly Absolutely. so. Absolutely. Faze, it's been a pleasure talking to you about this game. Thank you very much for coming on the pod. Thank you for having me. Not at all. Uh, for more stories like that, do check out theblizzard.co.uk, everybody. Uh, but until next week, it's goodbye from myself and Jonathan. We'll see you then. Cheers.